I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. God, I really want to tell this to people. So a few months ago, my girlfriend and I went to a public state park. It is not like a middle of nowhere, but still not many people around, and it was in the afternoon that a strange thing happened. When we were heading out of the park, we saw a car that was traveling on the opposite side toward us. Then the car turned right. It was a sedan. We thought there was a road right there. And when we got to the section where that car turned, we didn't see any road, but only high grass and big trees. I asked my girlfriend, did you see that red car just now? I thought it turned right around here. She said, I saw a car too, but it was white, wasn't it? We looked at each other's for a few seconds and quickly left that area. That was weird. I was working as a forest ranger up here in Anchorage when this happened. My job at the time was to patrol the remote areas of the park, make sure nobody ever lit fires they weren't supposed to or throw litter when they weren't supposed to. 
I was equipped with my own radio and rifle with me at all times in case I had to deal with any squatters or crazy people who came in the woods looking to do bad things or maybe camping out at night illegally when they weren't supposed to. It was just before midnight on a Friday evening. I had been patrolling an area called Barney Creek. I hadn't noticed anything unusual happening, so I wasn't expecting anything like that later that night. But then I found a deceased person, a skeleton. More on that in just a second. On my way back to my car is when I saw this body lying across the trail that I'd been walking on. At first I thought it was maybe an animal due to the condition that the body was in. But as I got closer and looked again, I realized it wasn't a bear corpse or any other animal because there was no fur covering its flesh. It had obviously died quite a while ago. After shining my flashlight around the area more thoroughly, with a sense of growing apprehension tapping into whatever bravery might be needed, I slowly approached the remains, took out my camera before beginning to take pictures of the evidence. I was in no way prepared for what I saw when I moved much closer to take a look. The skull was pretty badly rotted, and there appeared to be a bullet hole right behind the left eye socket. Some brutal execution must have also happened, maybe even torture, judging by how bony and ripped out their chest area looked without flesh or what was left covering up the ribcage. Whoever they were, somebody wanted them dead and couldn't accept any opposition from whoever they were going after. This meant that whoever killed them was still around, and they'd be coming back. They could have been waiting out for me in the forest, possibly planning to take out their sick revenge on me. I had one mission, to get out of there as soon as possible and alert the authorities for backup. I had to run back as fast as I could, which was hard with how freaked out and terrified I was. Still getting lost and occasionally trying to remember every time a branch or leaf would brush against me, I just suspected it was something that could kill me now, kind of like a monster's claw reaching up from behind bushes, ready to grab me by the neck and snap it like a twig. My heart raced with so much fear that I swear it was almost going to pop out of my chest without any warning at all. Finally, after what seemed like forever, I managed then to get away, but just collapsed onto the forest floor, completely exhausted. As soon as morning had arrived, I was successful in returning to the area, but the remains were gone. I couldn't tell if somebody had come in and taken them, or maybe some animal decided to bury their body under some dirt or leaves until fully decomposed. In any case, it didn't matter much because no one was going to find out who killed that person. But I realized afterwards whoever did it might have been looking for me too. It's best not to say anything about my experience now while I'm still working as a ranger. Look, I don't know what happened, but here in Alaska at night, those skeletal remains still haunt me. I've never seen a cadaver in that bad condition. But all I can say is, why didn't everybody just stay away from this area? Why did this happen? Who's this poor soul that got killed? It definitely looked malicious, like somebody had just left the body there. I mean, that's kind of obvious. Had it been an animal, it would have been eaten or torn apart. But the body had been there for a while, and there were no signs of any animals even touching it. How strange, almost paranormal, if you will.
I've received many strange, bizarre calls as an officer. This is one of them. The call came in as a woman reporting to the police that she had heard and seen a large dog trying to break into her home. She sounded frantic. It told me she saw the creature trying to get in through her door several times before dialing 911. The dispatcher asked if the animal was actually inside her home. She told us no. The dispatcher asked if this thing was trying to get inside her house. She said yes and told the dispatcher that this was a large, vicious dog, larger than any dog she'd ever seen before. This continued on for several minutes until I finally arrived on the scene. I got out of my car and walked towards the house, flashlight in hand and ready for anything. Then I knocked on the front door. I waited several seconds and there was no response. I knocked again, still nothing. So I walked around the back of her home to see if she had gotten out another exit or entrance. I didn't want to break down her door. Maybe she wasn't in danger after all. About halfway up the driveway at the side of her house, I noticed a large missing section of fence that looked to be torn down, leading right off to the woods in the property next door. Then it occurred to me there were also large canine tracks that led over this fence, right in the dirt leading up to the house. As I crouched down, shined my flashlight, and began trying to investigate, I saw something that will haunt me forever. Growling at me from less than 20 feet away was a snarling wolf-like creature standing on two legs right by the tree line leading off into the woods. This creature lowered its head and growled and then jumped off quickly into the darkness of the forest. I had my gun drawn and ready, and as this thing disappeared and I kept my gun focused, two men appeared on the property whom I did not recognize. They were not fellow officers. They told me they were related to the woman inside. They both had firearms drawn but kept them by their side. I asked them if they knew what was going on. They both looked at me like I had two heads. The one guy said, you don't know. The second man just nodded toward the creature, whispering something. He began to tell me that this home is being attacked by a strange creature, the same creature that also attacked his daughter while he was trying to get her home from school just weeks ago. They were kind of like an unofficial band of men who were trying to track down this creature. He also informed me they had been tracking this beast for weeks after it killed several livestock in another rural area. I began to inform him about animal control, but he said that they had already done so, and they did not believe us. And then he showed me photos of his wife's injuries after this beast tried to kill her in cold blood. That photo will stay with me. His photo was of his wife laying on an emergency room table, fresh stitches all across her right side, face and neck, and also needing her jaw wired shut due to nearly being bitten off by this thing. Immediately, both men's attention went right towards the woods where this creature disappeared, both drawing the firearm. The one man with the photo began shooting several times, and just then we could hear the growling, and just there, faintly beyond the light of the house in the darkness, was this creature again. I've been trying to figure out what I was looking at. Werewolves aren't real. What else could this thing be if it's not a werewolf? Was this thing possibly some kind of mutation or maybe some sort of lab experiment? I don't know, but it kind of vanished again in the woods and things seemed to calm down that night. 
I took the names and members of the two gentlemen who seemed to want to help and let me know if there's anything I could share with them to help track down this strange creature. The woman inside the house refused to speak to me or even come out and acknowledge my presence. I think she was so frightened by what had just happened. Personally, I have no explanations for any of this. I just know that it was a very, very strange call and a very strange night. I was hunting down in Stephenville, Texas, during whitetail season. I was up in a tripod overlooking a pasture. Behind me, about 50 yards away, was a dry riverbed, but you couldn't see it because a dense screen of trees grew along both sides of the riverbed, but you could hike to it, and there was another spot I would sometimes hunt on the other side. It was getting late, but there was still a decent amount of light. I had seen absolutely nothing that day, not even critters. So I'm sitting up in my tripod just watching when all of a sudden from behind me in or around the riverbed, I hear the most ungodly shriek, howl, roar that made my hair stand on end, and I damn well near peed my pants. It continued for about three minutes until it suddenly stopped, and that's about when I decided to call it a night, ran the whole way back to my vehicle. I didn't see it, and I, to this day I still wonder what it was. Didn't sound like a bobcat or coyote, and Stephenville isn't exactly known for its big cats or any cryptids. Maybe some of you hunters out there have experienced something similar. I had horses out in the pasture. My two brothers, my sister, and I think one of the boy's friends went out to see the horses. We had 80 acres which butted up to logging property and wilderness. The river was across the dirt road from our property. We went out all the time in the dark. It didn't bother us at all. I rode my horse all over the hills and was never afraid. Well, anyway, we went out to find the horses and I had a flashlight. I was shining in the field looking for them. I headed at chest height sweeping the field. When I shone it back across the flat part of the field towards the river, I saw two orange glowing eyes looking at me. I didn't hear anything at all. It didn't move. There are no trees in that part of the field, and whatever it was, was taller than me. I have never been so afraid in my life. All the hair stood up on my body, and I felt weak. Never have I felt that way, and I have been in the woods all my life. I knew whatever it was. I was not supposed to be there. As I watched the strange thing was it closed its left eye and turned its head to the right. This was strange to me because I thought an animal would just turn its head out of the light, and that would mean its right eye would leave you first. Anyway, I still did not hear anything as I turned around and started running for the house. I tried to get everyone in, but they would not come all the way into the house. I, on the other hand, did not go out at night again for a long time. Another time when we were hunting in, say, 2004 around Green Peter, I was walking behind my husband, and, and in the mud, I saw a track. I stopped him, looked at it, and looked again. I was kind of embarrassed to say anything, but I know in my heart it was a Bigfoot track. It had all the toes, and the big toe was prominent. The back was kind of messed up because it was on a slope, but I know it was one. I wish I would have taken a picture of it. I wish I had not been embarrassed to say anything. 
My husband's family was camping in a houseboat on Lake Shasta when he was young. Him and his grandpa got up early to fish, and they looked up on a hill in a clear cut and saw a black thing stand up and walk across the clear cut. Both my husband and his grandpa recall it. I don't know the year, but it must have been about 26 years ago. His grandpa told me the story and swears it was not a bear. Well, I hope I see another one. I hope it is not up close, but I want to prove to myself that it is real. I'm in the Navy, and about 12 years ago, I was standing watch in a submarine engine room. We were underway, can't for the life of me remember where to, from, or just making circles. It was the mid-watch, and I sat down to catch up on some logs. That's when I heard a woman's voice and felt the hairs on my neck stand straight up. No women on subs then. I got up, looked around, and found the other watches shooting the shed or doing their daily tasks. I thought maybe I'd dozed off and dreamt it. I sat back down and heard it again, and it sounded like it was coming from outside the hatch. I was sitting under I said to this shit out loud and went to just be around the other guys on watch. I still get chills thinking about it, even now. My husband, now ex, and I were hiking cross. Country in Oregon, mostly following a creek bed that didn't seem to be used much, if at all, by other hikers. When we came around a bend in the creek, we saw something that seemed quite tall. Maybe as tall as a moose, but not a moose. At first I thought it was a bear standing up. But it was moving away from us, going in the same direction as us, across a rocky creek meadow that had opened up suddenly, and that also had several boulders strewn about. It looked over its shoulder briefly during one of its strides, like a nonchalant or natural action, not a craning of the neck or anything, and continued on. It was almost like its head automatically turned slightly in the direction of the back swinging arm. It seemed I could make out arms swinging, but I admit my mind was whirling. It was not a moose. The face was flat. There was no rack or anything animal looking about it. It then turned away from the creek bed and went up the mountainside. Although I got the impression that this was not a last-minute panic decision because of us, just that it was continuing on its original planned course, very leisurely looking. It mostly went straight up, very easily and just barely cutting across the natural slope. Either this thing had been right in front of us for a while, moving along the same creek bed, or we caught it just having come off the mountain, or just having started to move off at that point. It seemed more like it had been ahead of us the whole time, which was a creepy feeling. Anyway, I had not been looking for any footprints. I'm a rock hunter, and had no belief or interest in Bigfoot at that time. Details of location and terrain are few, but I have seen elk, moose, buffalo, and grizzly bear in various other treks. This seemed, at first glance and without much to use for scale, to be much larger than any of those and appeared to be on two legs, taller than it was long or wide. I only got glimpses of it as it went around boulders, trees, etc., and I did not attempt to get closer. We immediately headed back the way we came and spent one uneasy night in the wilderness before getting back to our car, probably about a six-hour hike in. 
I do know I forced my husband to put as much distance as possible between us and the thing that night. I even forced us to go on in the dark using flashlights, as slow going as it was, jumping at every cracking tree limb and every rustle of a bush. That's it, except for the one other thing I did notice before I turned and scurried away, practically knocking over my husband in my desire to run. I grew up in a house where my backyard was a huge forest in rural Illinois. When I was a kid, I loved being outdoors and would take every possible opportunity to run amok in the woods with my best friend. When we were younger, uh, 11, 12, we stayed closer to the house on the outskirts and climbed the trees. As we got older, 13, 15, we would venture deep, walking and swimming in the rivers and building little forts. When I was 16, the forest was roped off and closed off to the public as a company. It began illegally dumping lead or mercury into the woods, but that's another story. It was the middle of a hot summer, and I was about 15 at the time. Dusk was approaching, and my friend had to go home for dinner, but I wasn't quite ready to leave. We parted ways, and I climbed up a tree near my favorite spot over the river. Now these woods backed up to a local gun club, so it wasn't uncommon to hear shooting. However, this gun club was contained in its own private property, and the members never ventured out into the forest. I sat in my tree for a little bit and ate the blackberries I'd picked earlier while watching it get darker when I suddenly spotted movement out of the corner of my eye. At first I assumed it was a younger deer because it was larger, but not huge, but I quickly realized it was a man. He seemed to be in his late thirties or early forties, and he wore a black t-shirt and camo pants with creepy, wiry facial hair. He was skulking, like he didn't want to be seen. I thought this was odd, but had no intention of making my presence known since something felt wrong. In being a fifteen-year-old girl alone in the woods, I knew I was at a disadvantage. I slowed my breath down and watched. At first, he didn't say anything as he walked around the base of the trees. It was around that time that I realized he had a gun slung over his back. Once he got near the river where my friend and I had been loudly goofing off maybe ten minutes earlier, he started calling out, Hey, anyone here? Help? While grabbing his rifle, when there was no response and no noise, he gave up after a few minutes and began walking downstream. I waited until it was pitch black before sliding out of that tree as quietly as I could, running home and having my parents call the cops. They never found anything. I could never bring myself to go back. I had been working as a forest ranger for almost five years. A ranger's day could consist of anything from collecting firewood to tracking down missing hikers. And my day began like most. I would wake up early, walking into work and grabbing my binoculars. As I was about to drive out of the forest, I got a call. That day, I was given a new assignment. I met up with another colleague, a fellow ranger, and we went to the center of this area where somebody had been reporting hearing strange screaming coming from around a cave system nearby. My partner and I decided that I would be able to handle it by myself. He had other things to do, and this was just another run. 
of the mill investigation for me. After he left, I headed towards that area where there had been several unreported mounds to this cave system. Now let me give you some information. This cave system runs pretty deep and there are guided tours. But I also know that this cave system is very expansive and also has a lot of unidentified entrances and holes that can lead deeper into the system. These are also off-trail, so myself, I've never actually experienced finding more of these, although I know hikers have reported finding many and even leaving makeshift markers to let other hikers know this was an entrance. The parts of the ground here were also dangerous, meaning if you step on the wrong part, the ground below, you could collapse, falling into a tunnel. So, I had to be very careful about how I approached this entire search. The good news is I wasn't hearing any screaming, so that could be good or bad news. The bad news, meaning the hiker, whoever was stuck there, could have been deceased or what, but the good news being that maybe the hiker had gotten themselves out. Anyway, my heart was pounding just by the sheer adrenaline of it. I didn't know why, but something told me to run. It was this feeling in the pit of my gut. As soon as I got there, right around the cavern system, the wind picked up and everything seemed colder than it already was. A gust. Now I could have begun my investigation in the main entrance, but as I was planning, I heard the scream. It sounded like a person, but they were maybe a couple hundred feet away, north. So I marched through the trees, looking, following the source of the screaming, yelling out, Can you hear me? Can you respond? And the screaming ceased. I followed along the rock wall and found this crude hole in the ground, maybe no larger than five feet. It was right by a rotted tree stump with only one branch on it. This, I knew, probably went down into one of the cave systems. This, by the way, was probably no more than 200 feet away from the main entrance. After crouching down, I was able to slide down at a 45-degree angle into this cave system, landing in a small chamber that I think connected to the others. I always carry a flashlight with me, so I took it out and turned it on. As soon as I did that, the caves plunged into darkness as my battery instantly died. That's when I heard a loud crash. I turned around, or I should say, turned to meet the noise, and my flashlight popped back on. There, like out of some sort of sick Stephen King novel, was this grotesque figure. Large black eyes covering its entire body, stretching its arms out and moving toward me. Terrified, I wanted to turn and run, but didn't have time, as there was another one of these beings coming from the opposite side of the cave, approaching. I turned as fast as I could and fled up the 45-degree incline about the cave. Just as I was turning to climb up, I could hear a third one approaching from directly behind me. Now I had one coming from my left, my right, and behind me. This one, as I turned and looked, was larger than the other two. Completely terrified out of my mind, and the sounds of screaming were now apparent coming deeper in the cavern. I don't know if it was an injured hiker or if these things were making the noise, luring anybody into this tiny crevice, this chamber into the earth. Like I said, the opening to this cavern wasn't large, but I never in a million years would have expected to find things like this. This was horror movie status. 
I didn't tell anybody else about what I found and kept it to myself. After climbing out of that hole, I ran and ran. And ran some more, getting back to the station later on. I didn't say a word, and I knew the other rangers wouldn't believe me. And what would I tell them? That I found a cave full of half-arachnids, half-creatures. I mean, they'd probably think I was crazy. Now, I've kept this sacred for a while, but how long can I keep it from the rest of the world? Will my story ever be told to other people? Or should I just stay quiet about what had happened? Let me just apologize and say I'm sorry for the formatting of the story. I'm a terrible writer, and I am not a storyteller, so I apologize in advance. But these creatures that I saw were unlike anything I've ever seen. They really reminded me if you crossed a tarantula with a human. I mean, these were gross. They made this hissing, clicking noise, too. I know it sounds phony through email, but it's really hard for me to convey emotion properly, at least through written communication. With all the information coming out anymore about missing hikers and seeing strange figures and shapes in the woods and all the other bizarre happenings of 2020, I figured, hey, maybe now is an okay time to be open about my experiences and hopefully not experience backlash. My name is Officer T. Williamson, and I'm currently an officer in a small town east of Phoenix, Arizona. My encounter involves an online report that I had read from a man who goes by the name of Ken. The report detailed how he and his family have been being harassed by what they believe to be a demon for almost three years now. Mr. Ken begins the report by describing the very first encounter he had with this evil entity, which occurred back in the fall of 2013 at their home in Arizona. While nobody else was around except for his wife, who at the time was taking a shower, he explains that out of nowhere he hears her scream from upstairs. So he runs up there to see what's wrong only to find her standing there frozen with terror written all over her face, staring into the nothingness. When he asked her what was wrong, she described a tall, dark figure standing in the corner of their bedroom right outside of their bathroom door. Mr. Ken claims that when he looked in the same corner, all he saw was a pitch-black void where the figure had been standing, which caused this intense feeling of dread to come over him made him feel as if death were staring him into his very soul. He told his wife there's nothing there, let her out of the bathroom for fear of her safety. After she clearly voiced concern about going back into the room, and with it still being very present, she had a hard time even going back in there, just turning off the shower. Ken then explains how throughout the next three years, this entity would go on to harass the family, manifesting in just about a different form every night. Whether it be the same dark figure, or sometimes this evil-looking gnome creature with red eyes, and another time he claims it appeared as a spirit made of pure fire. He said that although nothing ever physically happened to anybody within the house, everyone has experienced scratch marks, cuts bruising all over their bodies for no real reason at all, all happening at separate times. Ken, too, claims that whatever this thing is loves to stand outside the bathroom door while people are showering and appears to be immune to things like crosses or crucifixes or even holy water. 
Going deeper into the report that I read, it didn't go into too much more detail about this entity, but from what Ken did say, it sounded like this was a type of spirit that takes the form it believes will frighten its victim the most, a shape-shifting spirit. That being said, if Ken's family has been dealing with one for almost three years, I would say they have done very well in keeping whatever this thing was harassing them away from harming anybody. I'm not sure why this thing chose to show itself now after all these years, but maybe something happened recently to make it think attacking them might be possible. It also makes me wonder whether or not whoever wrote this report actually recorded everything their demon did throughout all the years and left that stuff out when writing about it just in case anybody reading it decided to call them out on their story. I don't think what Kennan has been experiencing was either a demon or a Bogart, but an entity that he, his family unintentionally invoked by possibly playing around with some kind of occult paraphernalia, which caused a ritualistic nightmare spirit to cross over from the spirit realm into their home, which they then failed to send back. If this really did go on for three years straight, I would say whatever is going on with their house definitely falls under the paranormal category instead of something rational. Like waking up at night and scratching yourself with your eyes still closed because you were dreaming about scratching yourself when, in reality, you're just moving around in your sleep due to maybe a medical condition or maybe even suffering from sleep paralysis. Sometimes you just have to take people who claim they are being harassed by something invisible with a grain of salt. I mean, even if it is real, there might just be some sort of logical explanation of what's going on that they possibly haven't thought of yet. I've driven the highways of this country for longer than I can remember, and I've seen my share of strange things on the road. So it was a lonely road, the kind where the only company you have is the hum of the engine and the soft glow of your dashboard lights. The radio had been nothing but static for hours, and my eyelids were growing heavy with exhaustion. That's when I saw him, a hitchhiker standing by the side of the road, thumb outstretched, a silhouette in the darkness. At first, he seemed like any other weary traveler looking for a lift. He was dressed in worn-out jeans and a faded flannel shirt, a backpack slung over one shoulder. I pulled my rig to a stop and rolled down the window. Need a ride? I asked, my voice echoing in the silence. He nodded, a grateful smile on his face, and climbed into the cab. I could see his face now, a young man with tousled hair and tired eyes. He didn't say much and I didn't press. I knew how it could be on the road. Sometimes you just needed someone to share the journey. As the miles passed, I couldn't help but feel something was off. He was too quiet, too still. It was as if he was a shadow, a ghost of a person, just there but not really. I tried to shake off the unease that settled in my chest, blaming it on the fatigue that Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. They've been gnawing at me. Then, as we rounded a bend in the road, a pack of creatures emerged from the darkness. They looked like nothing I'd ever seen before. Half-man, half-dog, with matted fur, snarling muzzles, and glowing, malevolent eyes. They blocked the road ahead, their growls and barks echoing in the night. I slammed on the brakes, my heart racing as I fumbled for my phone, thinking I had to call for help. But before I could even dial, the creatures lunged at the truck, clawing at the metal and snarling with ferocious hunger. Panic surged through me. Desperate, I turned to the hitchhiker, my voice trembling. What are these things? What do we do? But when I looked at him, I froze in terror. His face had changed, morphing into something twisted and ghastly. His eyes were hollow voids, and his skin was translucent like a ghost's. He reached out a hand, and it passed right through mine. With a cold, eerie smile, he whispered, I'm sorry. Before I could react, he vanished, leaving me alone in the cab with those nightmarish creatures clawing at the windows. I knew I had no choice but to put the pedal to the metal and drive. With a roar of the engine, I tore through the night, leaving the pack of dogman-like creatures behind in the rearview mirror. As I sped away, my heart pounding, I couldn't help but wonder if I had just encountered a ghostly hitchhiker or a malevolent spirit. One thing was certain. I'd never pick up another hitchhiker on a desolate highway again. Not after the night I met the hitchhiker who vanished from an accident scene years ago. In the night, the dogmen, like creatures, tried to tear me apart. On the day it happened, I was hiking on a small trail alongside a stream off of a forest road in Lawson National Forest in northeastern California. There were a couple of cars along the road, so I thought it would be a safe place for me to hop onto a small trail. I like to hike in some odd places, practicing my navigation skills with a map and a compass and my phone GPS, app tracking my path. I like to pinpoint some unique land features on a topo map and go find them. I usually go with a group of orienteering friends, but that day I was hiking solo. When I'm alone, I don't go too far into the forest. However, the events of that day drove me deep into the forest. The stream was rather small compared to the actual stream bed, which was odd considering there had been a decent snowfall over the winter. I also noticed that there was a lot of algae in this stream and a quarter mile in. I could smell a rotting trout long before I came upon it. There were pieces of trash littered along the stream. I also came across a few small dead animals near the stream as I walked along the trail. It was disgusting, but I assume this is a popular area with teens or target shooters, and they probably left some trash behind. I didn't know that these were the warning signs of what I was walking into. About a mile in the trail diverged from the stream and cut through the shrubs and trees. I was close to my destination a spot along the stream that looked like it could possibly have a small waterfall. The trail turned left, and it opened up to a large flat clearing. I stopped immediately, looking across the clearing. There was trash everywhere, and there were rows of cultivated dirt, but the plants were all uprooted. 
There was a holding pond lined with plastic sheeting along the stream, and there was a pile of sports drink bottles filled with a milky pink fluid next to it. Along the edges of the garden were what looked like homemade spike strips, boards with nails driven through them. I could smell the distinct odor of marijuana in the air. This was an illegal growth site. There had been enough news reports about what happens to people who come across these illegal growth sites for me to know that I needed to get away fast. I turned and I ran into the shrubs on the opposite side of the trail. Hiding behind a crumbling tree stump, I checked my map to make sure I was heading into uneven terrain, where I would be unlikely to find another garden. The cars at the trailhead likely belonged to whoever was maintaining this garden, but since they weren't at this location, they were probably at another. I started to stand up, but dropped back down, holding my position when I heard a pair of male voices talking in Spanish. I recognized a few words like mountain and up when they were talking, and they kept repeating grand. Grande? When their voices faded away, I quietly started to go in the opposite direction, putting distance between me and them. The map indicated that if I kept going east, there were no streams and there would be some decent elevation changes. But afterward, there was a forest road I could follow. I walked straight through, maintaining an eastbound path for half an hour, until I heard a soft wailing sound coming from the left of me. I stopped dead in my tracks. It sounded like nothing I'd heard in the forest before. It didn't sound like an animal. It sounded human. I could smell a strange odor in the air, and I noticed some long tracks on the ground that looked like a bear double-step, but one side had splotchy blood in it. I grabbed my bear spray and knife out of my bag and stood still, looking around for the source of the noise. I took a couple of steps forward and everything went silent. Suddenly I felt something crash into my left side from the rear, knocking me to the ground. I looked up terrified that it was a bear, but it looked like a massive man covered in dirty blonde hair and very tan skin. He grunted at me and then collapsed on the ground. His feet near my face, I could see a massive gash in the sole of his foot with pine needles and dirt sticking to the blood that was oozing out. I heard voices coming from the direction I had just come from. I wasn't sure if it was the same man, but I didn't want to risk it. I jumped up on my feet, smacked his leg, and said, Go! As loud as I dared, I started running east, and I heard his limping footsteps pounding on the ground, heading slightly north of me. There was a hill ahead with several large boulders that I could somewhat see through the thick trees. I continued running until I reached it. I climbed up the hill, and I could smell that weird odor again. I followed the odor, and I found the hairy man collapsed on his back on the ground. He was taking short, rapid breaths. I could see that he had two holes in the far right side of his chest where there was blood oozing as well. He looked human, yet he didn't. He looked like he could kill me, single, handedly, but I had an overwhelming urge to help him. I knelt down beside him and grabbed his massive hand to try and check for his pulse. I could feel a strong beating under his skin, giving me hope. He looked at me with eyes that seemed to ask for help. I pulled the first aid kit out of my pack and looked at what I had trying to figure out the best way to make what I had work. I keep my day kit light, carrying only things that will patch me up enough to get to help. I only had two hemostatic gauze pads. 
The chest wounds were the most concerning. I put my ear near the wounds listening for sucking sounds, then applied the gauze when I heard none. I applied pressure for several minutes, then ripped two pieces of tape off of the roll to hold them there. His eyes were slightly open and watching me as I gestured for him to open his mouth. He closed his eyes with his mouth still shut. He could have indicated to me by now if he didn't want me touching him, so I went for it. I carefully pulled open his mouth to check his gums and tongue, keeping my fingers clear in case he decided to snap his mouth closed. His gums were dark, but his tongue was pink. I didn't see any signs that his lungs had been punctured, but when I looked at his teeth, they weren't quite like a human's. His canine teeth were larger, but not as oversized as a gorilla's. Once the critical injury was dressed, I went down to work on his foot, washing it gently with some water from my pack. He started moaning, lifting his head up and looking at me, but he didn't jerk his foot away. I did my best trying to clean it out, using one of my maxi pads to wipe away the debris and dry the skin. The cut was long, nearly an inch deep across most of it, and there was a hole on the top of his foot as well. His foot was very broad and flat, and the wound was trying to splay open. I filled the cut with ointment and used the tape to make massive butterfly strips to pull the two sides of the wound together, leaving drainage gaps between the strips. I left the hole on top, uncovered to serve as a drain as well. I then took my last maxi pad and strapped it to the bottom of his foot like a sandal using tape across the top. I looked back up at his face and I could see a small trickle of blood running on the ground by his head. I had missed a wound someplace. I went back to his side and pulled on his arm, hoping he would get the idea to roll over. He was too heavy for me to pull over without his help. Finally, he rolled onto his side and I found two jagged exit wounds on his back about the size of my thumb. I didn't have much left in my first aid kit, but I did have several tampons. I opened up the tampon package and put the applicator in about an inch deep and inserted the tampon leaving about a third of it outside of his body. I repeated this in the other hole and then pulled on his arm to get him on his back to keep pressure on the tampons. Once he was flat again, he closed his eyes and his breathing slowed down. He seemed to be sleeping. I stayed there watching him for a few minutes and cleaning up my trash when I heard shots in the distance. I needed to get down to where I could find help, but I couldn't leave him exposed. My cell phone didn't have service at this point, so I needed to get down to the road. I didn't think it was likely whoever was shooting the gun would come up the hill, but I gathered up the few branches I could find and covered him with them, hoping he would stay sleeping, until I came back. I started down the hill on the eastern side, heading towards the forest road. Once I hit the flat dirt, I ran south until I saw a truck heading down the road towards me. I could see the light bar on top, and I felt so relieved at that point. I knew I was safe. The ranger pulled up to me, and I broke down, relieved. I knew I couldn't come right out and talk about the Sasquatch. Instead, I told the ranger about the illegal grow, and... I said that I saw a severely wounded bear with young cubs they had shot. It was a lie, but I needed him to go back with me and check on him, and he probably wouldn't believe me if I said what he really was. We drove back to the hill, and we ascended where I hit him. The ranger was following close behind me with his gun drawn. The ranger wanted me to follow behind, 
I wanted to make sure I was the first face the Sasquatch saw. He likely wouldn't survive another gunshot wound, and if he slammed into the ranger as he did to me, the ranger would likely shoot. When I was able to see the top of the hill, I could see the branches, but he was gone. The blood from his back was still there, but the branches I'd covered him with were arranged into an X on the ground. It's been six years since that day, but I feel like it was yesterday. Since I didn't see him get his injuries, I'll never know for certain what happened. I've read stories about them being protectors of the forest, and I think that's what he was doing. These illegal growers divert water from streams to grow pot, and their camping garbage brings a lot of wildlife to their gardens. They use highly potent and sometimes illegal rodenticides and insecticides and large dye, officer common around growth sites, everything from birds to bears. It would make sense that he would want to push them out of his forest. I'm certain he was shot, and I think when he was running away, he stepped on a spike strip and it ripped through his foot. I did my best to take care of him, and I wish I knew he was okay out there. I was a field engineer doing software installation and commissioning on telecom equipment controllers. These units are located at cell sites tower bases, which your phone connects to in order to provide you service and connectivity from your cell service provider. A lot of these towers are in very, very remote places. In this particular project, I would go in the day after the construction crews completed their tower and electrical work. I would be by myself with just my work truck, air card, and laptop. This particular site was in rural Virginia. I probably still have the email from when I was on that project with the site's coordinates, so I will try and post those later if I find them. If it's not against policy, of course, the site was about two, three miles into the deep woods of Virginia. It was near a now abandoned mine of some sort. Not sure exactly what they were mining for, but there was very old mining carts and drilling equipment scattered about as I was driving to the site. It was starting to get dark, but this was supposed to be a quick in-and-out type deal. LTE commissioning usually takes one hour or less, and since I saw a Civil War era cemetery connected to the gravel road which leads to the site, I was in more of a rush than usual. See, the thing is, when you try and rush things, especially because of fear, you will up. And boy, did I F up. Something that should have taken one hour took over four. When I finally completed my work and closed my laptop screen, I realized how dark it was outside and that I was all alone at the base of a tower in the middle of nowhere. I quickly gathered my belongings and headed towards my car, which was probably 60 yards away at the gate of the compound where the tower was located. When I tried to close the gate behind me, it was so dark that I couldn't see the chain and lock, so I put my car in reverse, put the e-brake up, and shut off the ignition. This way, my reverse lights were lighting up the gate for me so I could close it, just trying to give you an idea of the utter darkness I was in. After all that, I headed down the trail to the secondary gate, which leads to the site about half mile from the actual compound. Same situation as before. Too dark, so had the car in reverse. Well, when trying to close this gate, I heard in the distance, 
what I can only describe as the most menacing and evil female laughter. It sounded like it was pretty far away, but I got shook to the bone. I left that secondary gate wide open and noped the hell out of there. On the drive out, I remembered the cemetery I had to drive by. Needless to say, I didn't look at it when drove past it on the way out. After speaking with the construction crew that built the site, they also said they heard people whispering in the woods at night, but could never spot anyone. They also heard what sounded like people picking at rock with tools, but they were certain no other construction or anything was taking place anywhere for miles on end. I am in the United States Coast Guard, and I recently was assigned to a ship. I was going through our logbooks to look up something and noticed that on the bridge, an unknown blue light was observed beneath the water's surface the night before. This intrigued me, so I started looking through more of the logs. Apparently every two, three weeks, they enter lights of varying colors in places you would not expect. Usually white, red, or green lights are on the horizon or in the sky, ships and aircraft. But they seem to report colored lights under the water, sometimes moving around, sometimes stationary. Lights in the sky moving at extreme speeds, then immediately stopping or disappearing altogether. Sometimes lights are visible to the naked eye, but when we try to look at it with flur or night vision, they are undetectable. I was in high school at the time, and right in front of our house, there was a secluded park. That park is empty and peaceful, but it gets crowded at a certain time of the day because of dog owners. So my dogs are not friendly, and because of that, we take them out a little bit early than others. Like usual, I checked the park out from window, and there was just a man walking around the park. I took my two dogs, Golden Retriever and Yorkshire Terrier, and went to park. I was listening to music and waiting for my dogs do their thing. I realized that bald and middle-aged man was glancing at us, but he was keeping a distance. I usually know everyone that comes to that park, but it was my first time seeing that guy. I am a paranoid person and wanted to go, but my small dog were still looking for a place to poo-poo. When my dog was sniffing around, we had to stop walking. That guy got close to us and said, I have a friend, and he will bring two aggressive pit bulls here. You should get out. I was surprised and just said eight and got out. Didn't even question and walked out of the park. We could see the entire park clearly from our windows. I almost knew all the dogs that hang around in the park and even know their personalities. I never saw or heard about pit bulls nearby. After some time passed, no one was coming to the park. That man was walking kind of wobbly and talking to himself. He was holding some kind of small bag in his hand, and he was smelling that bag. We just understood immediately, but we were quiet, amazed by his trick to get me out. After some minutes, a grandpa and his grandchild were walking the hallway to park. That guy didn't even wait them to enter and ran to them and yelled like a crazy that poor old man was scared a lot. He didn't say anything and just left immediately. We were fine with him getting high in our park up until now. He took a thick tree branch and ran after cats. 
I got even more mad and made my mom call the police. They arrived 30 minutes later. That crazy guy walked on the police too. They took him and we didn't see him that day. After a winter, we saw him again. We were like, ah, oh, here we go again. It was our dog's toilet time again. I was studying to my exams and asked my mom to take him out. There was also a gardener and some kids in the park. She decided to go because she was not alone with him. Dogs did their thing and she was just going out. She was just about to leave. He walked on my mom and raised his arm. But thankfully he was so wobbly he couldn't get much close. The gardener was just watching from the corner. She screamed a little and went back home. He got taken by polices for three times, but he always got back on summer days. My dad was a merchant sailor. He has seen and done some shit, some things he still won't even tell me. Apparently there was this crew once, probably more than once, that included this crazy guy that slept with a hatchet who was one room over from my dad, and also a guy who everyone hated. One day they woke up and the guy everyone hated was missing. There was some blood around one of the portholes. The way my dad puts it, you can't fit a grown man through one of those portholes whole. I've tried, so probably murder, and no one gave a shit. When I was about 10 years old, my mom had her second kid. We didn't have a ton of money, so it wasn't uncommon for our cars to break down or need to be repaired. Well, one day my mom, my baby sister, and I were heading to my aunt's house. She lived kind of up in the mountains, so to get there we had to take a pretty steep inclined highway. Then it veered off into the more rural area where my aunt lived. About halfway up the incline, my mom's car started to sputter. We could feel the car giving out, and I remember my mom just trying to get the car as close to the exit as possible. Well, the car didn't make it, and we broke down on the side of the highway. This was before cell phones were popular, so the only way to get help was to walk to the nearest payphone. We were probably about half a mile or so away from the exit, and... Right off that exit was a gas station. My mom told me to get as close to the guardrail as possible, and we began walking. Within a few moments, a man pulled up beside us and asked if we needed a ride. My mom cradled my sister, shoved me to the side, and quickly said, No to the man. She did that hip bump thing that people do, and at first, I was like, Daddy TF because if I would have fallen over the rail, I would have tumbled down a pretty steep hill. But then I looked over and very clearly saw a gun on the man's front seat. It was half covered with a handkerchief, but it was clearly a small handgun. He pulled it closer to him and tried to fully conceal it, but both I and my mom had already seen it. He drove slowly beside us, trying to convince my mom to get in the car. But my mom just kept saying no but she wasn't rude or mean about it, calm as a clam, just friendly as could be. He finally pulled off as we got closer to the exit. I'm guessing he wanted to stay on the highway. Once he pulled off, my mom looked at me and said he was going to kill us. She was still eerily calm as if. 
My name is Ataraxia, and I'm in high school. Last year, I went through a bad episode of depression. I'm doing much better currently, and I was scrolling on TikTok and found a video of a girl who claimed she shifted into another reality in her sleep. At that point in my life, going to another reality, even just for a few hours a day, sounded great to me. Out of curiosity, I looked up tutorials and other info on YouTube, and it soon became an obsession. For about eight whole months, I dedicated my free time to learning how to shift. The shifting I'm talking about is not the kind where people say they went to an anime or Hogwarts or whatever. My desired reality, as they call it, was just a normal world where some of my problems did not exist. Since there are infinite realities that are similar to ours, I hope to reach one with those qualifications. On February 8, 2023, I decided to try shifting. I wrote down the date of when I went to sleep and the details of my desired reality. I tried my best to hold my vision of me waking up in that desired reality for as long as I could, but I fell asleep and had a dream of my previous day at school. I don't think the dream had to do with anything just adding it. I woke up disappointed and grabbed my phone to turn off my alarm and I saw that my wallpaper was different. I thought it was weird, but I, I thought maybe I changed it accidentally somehow because the new wallpaper was an old one I had not too long again. Then things started to get strange as I got ready for school. Things were very slightly different. The pink pot on my desk no longer had the Kirby face I painted on it. My shoes were in a different cubby than I placed them in. I go to a private school, so I place my school shoes in a top cubby so that they are easier to reach. I no longer had a paper cut on my thumb. My blazer was wrinkled and in the laundry, even though I washed it and ironed it on Monday, which would be February 6th. My jewelry dish was gone, and instead my earrings were just on my nightstand. Those are just a few of the differences I can remember right now. I instantly thought about the shifting thing I tried last night and assumed the worst, which is I am in another reality. I continued on with my day and I found out that no, my problems were not gone, so this was not my desired reality. School was different too. The road lines were much more worn out than usual on the way. Someone who I didn't know personally waved at me at school. I hit my hip really hard on a bench that I have never seen while turning my usual corner pretty fast to get to buy a class. Our school banner in the courtyard was different. My assigned seat for religion class was different. My apps on my laptop were arranged differently. A character I had recently gotten in a gacha game was no longer on my account and the currency count was different. Game was Honky Impact Third, and the character missing was Hersher of Truth, and a bunch of other small changes that I don't distinctly remember. All I could think about all day was the fact that I was somewhere different, and I was not home. I have never been one to be overly stressed and have panic attacks, but the stress was overwhelming and crushing. My head and eyes were hurting by the time I got home. When I got home, I went to bed and tried to shift back. I wrote on a piece of paper home over and over again and put it under my pillow, shifting method, and set it in my head and imagined myself waking up at home again. I fell asleep and woke up. I started crying from relief when I saw my Kirby pot with a face again. 
The experience felt surreal to me, almost like a really vivid dream, and I was very willing to peg it off as one. That's when I checked the date on my phone. It was Friday, February 10th. This meant I spent a day somewhere else. My friend that I didn't recall being with much yesterday, as I spent my two breaks in the bathroom panicking, at school even asked me if I was all right and that she was worried about me. Last night, since I had been acting different and was very stressed out yesterday, she knows that I am struggling with depression. I said it was nothing and that I was perfectly fine. Does this mean that I switched consciousnesses with another me? And if that was the case, did we both try to shift that same night? Or was it just me? Did I shift? Was this a dream? Was it something else? Either way, I took this as a sign to never try shifting ever again. Home for summers during college friends, and I would often grab a couple of 12 packs and drive off into the woods somewhere and have a little fire. Nothing crazy, just a few beers and shooting the shit. Our normal spot had gotten blown up. Someone had blocked off the road, so we decided to go off in the woods on my friend's farm. There was no road, so we are just walking through the woods in the dark, looking for a good spot when we hear coy dogs howling in the distance. Then we hear coy dogs howling from behind us. Eventually, they are howling all around us and clearly getting closer. We noped the F out and ran back to the car. I was walking on the Jedediah Smith Redwood State Park in the Stout Memorial Grove. It is approximately one mile in circumference. I was going to go to the left and circle around, but there were two young guys that started to walk off. Trail to a big tree, so I went to the right. I thought it was the two guys messing around, but I didn't hear any laughter after it. The hair on my arm stood up after I heard screams. I turned around immediately to leave because it was getting late, around 6.40 p.m., and the sun was starting to set. About 20 feet back down the trail, I noticed a black figure standing about 120 feet from where the two young guys were standing earlier. At first, I thought it was a bear standing up because it was about seven feet tall and backlit by the sun. The face was partially obscured by a branch, and it was too far away to detect an odor. I took two quick photos of it and left. I didn't realize what I had photographed until later when I reviewed the photos. Unfortunately, they're bad, so I won't post them here. Also, the creature was strikingly all black, seven-foot-tall animal standing on hind legs. Its weight looked to be between 250 to 400 pounds and looked like a bodybuilder. It had a long muzzle, long pointed ears with tufts on them, really long arms with a big chest and a smaller waist. A branch covered a portion of its face. It was about 30 yards away. This was not a bear. It looked like a werewolf. Visiting a friend in California. My last night there, and we're talking about how I hadn't seen any redwoods. So we hop in the car at 11 o'clock at night and head off to some forest trail that he knows. We get there, and there's a gate with a sign on it, which we don't read. He's carrying his toy poodle. 
We walk a little ways, but the trees aren't that big. He says they get bigger further in and sparks up a joint, and we keep walking. Maybe a half mile in, we hear the loudest scream I've ever heard. We stop and looked at each other, and my friend says, I think someone just got murdered. We stood there for a few minutes to see if we heard anything else, and then we heard it again. It seemed to be closer, but it was tough to tell as it was echoing. Still no clue what it is, but we decide we should probably get out of there. Didn't really think much of it afterwards until I read an article about a mountain lion stalking someone, and there was audio of the sound mountain lions make. I send a link to my friend saying I think we are lucky to be alive. He laughs and says, yeah. No, I was up that way recently and noticed that the sign on the gate is a warning for mountain lions in the area.